0: by our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for just another day to be alive and to be serving you and following you in this way. We thank you for supplying your word to us, your Holy Spirit to us, so that we can learn the supernatural ways of your mind and your heart. And Father, we thank you most of all for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become one of us so he could redeem us, even with his own blood. Help us never be familiar with how he lived, even how he went against society's norms, all for the sake of salvation in hopes that all would be saved. We thank you for his wonderful example and for the gift of eternal life through him. Father, we ask that you bless this message, guide us by your spirit, and teach us what we need to hear this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Subjectivity, when subjectivity becomes the culturally accepted norm, part three. Let's start this evening with an interesting perspective that came out on Sunday regarding love. And obviously, the world has a certain perspective on love. It's uh, usually a mushy-gushy kind of love, for lack of a better term. And we'd never think to challenge somebody. Um, our world, is, uh, or at least our country, has been pushed in such a direction where challenging somebody's behavior is seen as being mean or cruel, even if it's right or truthful. It's just flat out seen as mean and therefore we shouldn't even do it. And it's a very sad situation really, um, letting people do whatever they want without questioning them. But that's what worldly love is right now and has become. But godly love, as we discussed on Sunday, is not always tender. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's, it's abrupt because it's truthful. Um, And that's a good thing in the end. I can't tell you how many times someone has been abrupt with me and it took me off guard at first and made me uncomfortable at first, but I was very thankful they told me the truth about something, right? I'm sure we can all relate to that. And without that person, I would not have been able to change my perspective, maybe a certain area of weakness in life and therefore be set free from that thing. So what's happening right now in our, our culture really is a travesty because no one gets to get set free by the truth. Love tells the truth. Real love tells the truth. Is it love to avoid the truth or even lie to somebody just so they don't feel bad? Is that love? That's what we wanna do because it's easier on us rather than challenging somebody. Also the problem is it causes harm. So this is where we can Um, live a life and think about our lives and the opportunity we have to actually help people by telling them the truth. Um, Pastor and I were having a, a conversation once and we were talking about how easy it would be to know you have the truth, to know where you're going by the grace of God through Christ and just live your life how you want, you know, go golfing, you know, have a party, And just say, can't wait till the Lord comes back. But that's what Satan wants us to do. We're we're supposed to be soldiers for Christ. God wants to use us to step out and tell people the truth in love. But are are you going to go, quote, unquote, hide away like that or live for yourself, knowing that the Lord has everything under control? Or are you going to take advantage of the opportunity to participate in this call that we have and to set some people free? Because no one else is doing it. So go to Ephesians 4.14. Ephesians 4.14. This is where we'll start tonight. And here we basically see the immature get tossed around in subjectivity. But the mature will speak the truth in love. And, and we all have a choice to make, especially as we keep growing in the, in the Word. Uh, God, the Spirit, is going to challenge you, convict you to not live for self, to not hide away in the golf course or whatever you want to do, to be a good soldier for Christ and consider those that are lost. Ephesians 4.14 As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So right there we see our topic on subjectivity and giving in to social norms that aren't good in God's eyes. It says, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh, you hear something good over here? Oh, let me go run over here. Someone else tells something good over here, let me run over there. Not sticking to a system of beliefs that you know to be true. Fortunately, we have that in the Word. But this is the immature person basically going on their emotion flying back and forth to whatever sounds nice in the moment. So again, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, see the word but there. So there's that first party, the emotional, subjective, immature type of person, even believer, but... We should, the mature, we should be speaking the truth in love. We ought to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So love tells the truth. And it doesn't give in to sin and evil as being okay or good. Godly love is balanced, is what we heard on Sunday. Sunday. It actually speaks up to those who are on the wrong path instead of letting them keep going down that path where you know there's a pit coming up around the corner. But that's what people in this world do just so they don't appear to be mean or cruel. A good example of telling the truth in love is God the Father's love for us. On the board, we saw this about discipline. A good father disciplines his own. Proverbs 13.24, Hebrews 12.6. This is not necessarily the same discipline that we might or he might use with one that's not his child. We aren't called sons, after all, until we're adopted at salvation, as in Galatians 3.26. So God the Father, the perfect Father, disciplines his own children. On the board, Proverbs 13.24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Today, this is the opposite of the world's opinion, but it's part of the perfect wisdom of God. If someone loves his son, he will discipline him. Why? Because he loves his son, because he actually cares what happens to him. So if you want to turn the blind eye towards someone's, you know, failures or the path they're going down, all for the sake of appearing nice, you're actually doing that person much more harm than good. And that's where our world is right now. If someone doesn't care, they won't discipline their child. They'll let him flounder around and go wherever he wants to go. So discipline is no less God's love than if he gives you a personal blessing of some kind. They both come from a perfect Heavenly Father who knows what's best for us at all times. That's what we fall back on, if you think about it. Why this? Why that? Why this blessing? Why this discipline? You know, we'll never know all the answers in this life. But if we can honestly fall back on the fact that God the Father knows what's best for us at all times, we should be good with discipline also as a form of love and thank Him for the discipline. We all need to understand and accept also that our great shepherd will have under shepherds lead us and guide us by his own spirit. And this provision from God, this man of God who's following his spirit and his word is called to discipline us at times as a divinely appointed authority in our lives. The gift of pastor has been given to us all by grace not only to teach us, but to shepherd us. That's, that's what makes a good shepherd, is being able to do both well and diligently. You know, That's how I, why I feel my gift's not a pastor teacher. I don't feel shepherding is my calling or my gift. But a, a, a pastor, this is what he's supposed to do. Teach and shepherd. Teach and shepherd. And guess what? As sheep, you're not going to like it getting hit by the rod once in a while. You're not going to like it. Who likes it? But we know that it's saving us in the end. And again, back to that point earlier about being thankful for when someone tells you the truth, right? We know it's for our good, and we know it's a divine provision from God because Jesus isn't going to come down right now and stand here and tell you exactly what to do, but he is going to use his pastor through the Word and the Spirit to guide you. So we must accept in humility God's provision if we want to grow and benefit ourselves even. So on the board, regarding discipline, one of the shepherd's key roles in leading his sheep is to remind the sheep of their need to read their Bibles daily. If they refuse, he must take out the rod, which is the word, and whack them. And this is tough love. The reminders we get are tough love. Um, on the board again, First Corinthians 16:13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. So, just this verse shows us that godly love includes a variety of responses to a variety of circumstances in life. Almost like how you can't put God in a box. There's probably an infinite number of responses to various circumstances in life that might be appropriate at the time. And whatever form of discipline that is, we should probably be humble and thankful for it. Um, Godly love is objective. Godly love is consistent. It's consistent enough to tell us the truth, whether good or bad needs to be revealed. And as came out on Sunday also, it takes a lot more strength to love balanced than unbalanced. It takes a lot more strength, um, as per this verse standing firm in the faith, be strong, right? Act like men. It takes a lot more strength to be objective than subjective. It's real easy to give in to people, especially when you like them, right? And they're maybe doing something wrong, asking you to do something wrong, or it's not really wrong, you know, but just overlook this thing. It's real easy to be subjective but that's not the godly way of love, even. So balanced love is is good, is from the Lord. And to help us love in a godly manner, uh, we were told that our job is to think objectively instead of subjectively. So we saw this good explanation on Sunday, objectivity versus subjectivity. Briefly, objectivity is based on facts, whereas subjectivity is based on emotions. Emotions may or may not persist within the context of both. However, with objectivity, discernment is unaffected by emotions. Discernment, how you make your decision, what you discern to be right and true, that is unaffected by your emotions. You may be feeling an emotion, but your discernment and your decisions are objective unaffected by your emotions, whereas subjectivity is led by emotions. So it's okay to have emotions and be emotional even, but it's not okay to be led by them. And so the Word teaches us this and trains us this way to cling to truth. Our topic again is when subjectivity becomes the culturally accepted norm And unfortunately, that's what's happening in our country right now at a rapid pace. Uh, Maybe one of the signs of the end times, you could say. But many people have strayed in our country from the Judeo-Christian values that founded our country and made us so stable and so free. And today, people are even straying from God himself. So now we have a subjective view about life about almost everything in life in this country. People are no longer looking to the Bible as the anchor to what's good and evil. Now, good and evil is subjective. It's almost like whatever your opinion is, goes. That's fine, because it's your opinion. But all you got to do is keep going a little further on to see what line people are willing to cross, right? Or what they're willing to give up by saying that. What's considered normal, our social norms have shifted greatly in our country. And as the Spirit said on Sunday, our nation is kind of like a ship without a rudder. Nobody really knows the right way to hold the rudder and keep us on a truly good course. There's no stability. So go in your Bibles to James 1.5. And I want to read this passage and have you think about our nation as a whole when you read this passage, floundering about in the waves, so to speak. Because today, people will sometimes use God's name. They might consider Him as an option, but they don't actually turn to Him for wisdom and therefore live a life of doubting God. Look at James 1.5 and think about our nation as a whole. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." So we have to be on guard for being sucked into the new societal norms. Because this is what's happening in our country that people are tossed about to and fro. Emotionalism, subjectivity, anything goes. There's nothing to cling on to that's stable. As a reminder of what we've been talking about on the board regarding societal norms, Social norms or mores are the rules of behavior that are considered acceptable in a group or society. People who do not follow these norms may be shunned or suffer some kind of consequence. Norms change according to the environment or situation and may change or be modified over time. And on the board, Jesus Christ and his gospel are a perfect example of disruptive influences. To societal norms. Jesus disturbed the Jews so much, disturbed their way of life and their way of doing things so much that it drove them to murder him. I mean, just think about what it takes to bring people to that point. Jesus didn't just offer a different brand of teaching. He went directly against the establishment, the society-accepted establishments. He went directly against these things. And so much so that it forced people to either embrace him as the Lord that he was or to attack him and hate him. He didn't leave room, in other words, for like, you know, an in-between or your opinion's good and whatever you think is true is true. He stood on the truth. He revealed himself as truth and, and didn't apologize for it. And at the same time, did it in love, don't forget I'm not saying start going around, tell everybody, bash everyone over the head with the truth, right? So we are to be, like, truthful and and not compromise and do it in love. So the Lord also, think about this, he was willing to suffer for telling them the truth. If anyone knew he was going to suffer for telling the truth, it was the Lord. But he did it anyway because he loved them. That's what love does. Love doesn't lie or sugarcoat things. Jesus wanted to save the Pharisees too. And that took a willingness to challenge the norms of their society face to face. And he knew the consequences. On the board challenging societal norms, we know from biblical history that people who function outside of societal norms suffer in ways ranging from dismissive disagreement to murder and everything in between. Severity is a function of context. But we know from history itself, biblical history and even human history and history books, people that function outside of societal norms, their life is usually made miserable. And to the degree that they stick up for the truth, usually the misery is higher, even all the way to murder sometimes. But is the truth worth it? Or do we love them enough to tell them the truth? Think about peer pressure. <laughs> think how that influences a person and their decisions, even if they think something else is the right thing to do. Think about how, how peer pressure changes your decisions. At least get you to soften the truth and emotion can sometimes capture a whole crowd as well because first of all nobody wants to rock the boat so they give in to the emotional call of the group you know if you're sitting in a circle with 10 people and nine of them start getting emotional about this topic and you're kinda on the fence and you really know the right thing to do but you kinda don't wanna have all nine of them hate you so what do you do you just kinda get swept up in the emotion let it ride And now you're off floating on those waves, being tossed here and there. Maybe even adopting uh, or changing your own views. So let's be reminded of a passage that we've been covering in our Wednesday night Bible studies. Yes, there is a Bible study on Wednesday nights, open to all members. And that's another form of grace, by the way. I know many of you do take advantage of it, but it's between you and the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 19.23. Acts 19.23. And here we see giving in to societal norms and people stirring emotions to control the people. Acts 19.23. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. This guy's really laying it on thick. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So what did this man do? He used pride to stir up the crowd, to stir up their emotions. And eventually their emotions took over without rationality, without even asking any questions. The question came up in our Bible study recently, which God were they filled with rage about? Was it really this great goddess Artemis or was it their money? As in verse 25. These are the kinds of questions that come up in the Bible studies and really help us think and apply these things to real life. So I want you to see now the irrationality of emotion and subjectivity. And this is happening in our own country about a variety of ungodly subjects. You know, as you see this scene, you can turn on the TV and see this scene right now. Look at verse 29. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. The majority. It's not like a few people walked in. Hey, what's going on? You want to fill me in? The majority didn't know what they were screaming about, but joined in. And then some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, having motioned with his hand. Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Again, turn on your TV and substitute some different words there, right? Shouted for about two hours. What is this but emotional irrationality? There's no discussion going on. There's no trial going on. There's no logic. There's no argument as to why these men were wrong or should be put out of the city is totally out of control, which is what the leader wanted. So I hope you see the subjectivity and emotionalism in this example carrying people away like waves on the water. They don't even know why they're there. No anchor to truth. So now let's read on and see an example of objectivity. Someone looking for the facts and not being led by emotions, even though his facts were off. And before we do this, let's remember our helpful definition on the board. Objectivity is based on facts, whereas subjectivity is based on emotions. Emotions may or may not persist within the context of both. However, with objectivity, discernment is unaffected by emotions, whereas with subjectivity, it is led by them. So look at verse 35, and at least this authority figure stepped back and tried to be objective, even though his facts were off. Verse 35, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So, there's some facts that he brought out. These men haven't actually done anything illegal or blasphemed our goddess. So then, if Demetrius or, and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. So there we see a pretty good picture of subjectivity, irrationality, emotionalism versus objectivity. Stepping back, what's the truth of the situation? Let's try to be logical here. And sometimes you can't do that with people. They just are too far spun up. But our job is to tell the truth in love. Our opportunity is to tell the truth in love. So back to our own country, there are many beliefs in our country that have gained a lot of steam over the years. But it doesn't mean they're right or good. Just because something has become a norm in society doesn't mean we as believers should accept it. My father and I were chatting uh, yesterday. I think it was about the recent lessons, and he he said something that he has said to me when I was younger also, which was, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Probably heard that before. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right, and that is a temptation that the flesh wants to give into. Everyone's doing it. How bad can it be? Is it really that bad? And again, there's all different scales, as different levels. Satan wants you to at least notch it down or, or, you know, ratchet it down, that analogy Pastor gave. At least come down one level. So you're not calling it bad, right? You're calling it indifferent. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Simple, objective truth. And more than ever, we have to cling to this as believers in the Word. On the board, regarding societal norms, Just because a certain idea has gained momentum in society doesn't mean it should now serve as the baseline for common judgment. And I think this is even more challenging if you're a younger person and when you were born, these things were already accepted. Okay, As opposed to if you're older and you've seen things change and you you saw how it, quote-unquote, used to be. Let's say we were closer to biblical values 50 years ago. Probably a safe statement. And then without, without seeing that being the, the norm at one point in our country, you think this must be the norm, what's happening now. It's very easy, especially for young people, I think. But we have to be careful. Just because something gains momentum in society doesn't mean we should say, okay, that's, that's the baseline." That's the line of you know, between good and bad. Anything higher is bad, anything lower is good, whatever. But be careful on the board. We must be careful not to assume that massive acceptance is goodness. We must fight the temptation to abandon our integrity to truth. We will be tempted. More on that later. So back to our main scene. Turn again in your Bibles to John chapter 9 verse 10 this is the scene with the blind man and the Pharisees and while it is a pretty funny scene at times it's pretty ugly at the same time the Pharisees didn't want anything or anyone to disturb their control and power so they weren't going to let Jesus draw away their followers even if he was good and true John 9, 10. So they were saying to him, the blind man, formerly blind man, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees, or they brought to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. So this poor man is here just stating the facts, being honest and transparent with these men. And they were actually pushing him to be dishonest, if you think about it they were pushing him to be dishonest so as not to disturb their ways and their norms. And we will be pushed to do the same in this world. We're going to be pushed to be dishonest, intellectually dishonest, academically dishonest in terms of the word. We're going to be pushed to give in to societal norms and drop our integrity. It's going to happen increasingly as the years go by, more and more and more. The pressure's going to get greater, the amount of people, the just sheer number of people against us will be greater in terms of their beliefs and the norms in society, and we're going to be tempted to drop our integrity. And remember, we can keep our integrity full throttle and still have love. So sticking up for the truth doesn't mean that we fall out of love, fall out of operating in the sphere of love but we can still stick up for the truth and have love. So for the Pharisees, they're the ones that it's really sad for in this example, and we can think of people in our world. If they were just objective and humble when this man was speaking to them, they would have seen the truth and rejoiced. In a way, they were this close to being set free, but their arrogant pride went up, their wall went up, and they refused to let down their wall to accept the truth that this man, who was born blind, could now see. And there was no other explanation. A society will often cling to their norms because they don't want to lose power and money, even though it's unjust. Again, we're going to be pushed to do the same in this world even to avoid our own positions or our own financial prosperity from being lost. That's going to that's come in play for many of us as we continue in this world and time goes by and the norms keep swaying and changing, going more in that direction, away from the Word of God. It's going to happen more and more. Are we willing to give up and sacrifice maybe what we've even worked for Legitimately, to be shunned by society, maybe put out by society in a way, and even lose our prosperity. We even see that in the news now in some examples. So we need to be aware of the it's okay, everyone's doing it mentality. Because if you don't believe it today, you might believe it tomorrow. If you don't give in to that today, you might give in to that next year or five years from now. It's okay, everybody's doing it. What if someone said that to you every day every day for the next 10 years? Do you think you might be tempted to give in? It's okay, everybody's doing it. Get out of, get out of the old ways, right? Come into 2000-whatever. But we must be on our guard as believers. If everyone's doing it, we should probably run the other way. We should probably purpose, purposely, speak in love, in the other direction, and be willing to lose what you've gained, all to the glory of God. It could be reputation, it could be money, it could be friends, it um, could be status, could be safety. At one point, personal safety. Are you willing to lose what you've gained? I mean, think about what goes on in Muslim countries, people, to the Christians. Think about how men and their families, even, are threatened. And they stand firm in the faith. They're willing to lose it all for Christ. And we should look at those people and be like, there's my example. If they can do that... (laughs) In that situation, I can do this under the societal pressure we have here. And remember, with objectivity, discernment is unaffected by emotions. Whereas subjectivity, it's led by emotions. So now the Pharisees start to go on a tirade against this innocent, truthful man and his family. Again, emotions are also irrational. And subjective people will branch out their arguments until they win. Even if the branches get really far away from the core argument, they'll keep going out, branching out, until they cause enough pain, even to family members, so people just give in and give up. They wear you down by emotions and irrationality. I mean, it's difficult to explain facts to someone that's being emotional and irrational, isn't it? We've all been there. You can't do it unless they're calmed down and willing to listen for a time. So it's one thing if they're not going to listen to you, it's another thing to give in on the truth. On the board we saw on Sunday, subjective bullying. Subjective people tend to bully others with emotional tactics. Since objective consideration of the facts is thrown out, they often resort to character assassination. So many of these people actually want to avoid the facts, and they want to attack the other person's character until they just are worn down. How many people drop out of the presidential race because of character assassination? They won't, they won't even go all the way you know, in and stay, stay with it. They're like, this is ridiculous. It's not only me, it's my family now, right? That people avoiding facts... You know, people that say, let's not let the facts get in the way of a good argument. Some people just love to argue. Some will go off on an emotional tirade. They'll do whatever it takes to establish their agenda and ignore the facts. But that's the way of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. So get used to it. We shouldn't be surprised. And that's why we come together right here to restore one another, to be built up, to be reminded that we're not alone in this fight and that that we can recharge our batteries and and get the word and go back out there and speak the truth in love. So on the board, bullies realize they are weak against the facts, so they resort to non-factual tactics to make their case, regardless of how low-handed or vile they may be. Just look at how this subjective group, the Pharisees, protecting their butts at all costs, they react to the facts that they've just received about the Messiah healing this blind man. Look at verse 16, John 9, 16. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now think about this. This man was blind from birth, and now he could see. This wasn't some guy that went blind five years ago and maybe you could rationalize that, you know, his body healed or, or, you know, his body fixed itself. He used to see, so now he sees again. It wasn't as big a healing as, you know, maybe it wasn't even a healing. This man was blind from birth, but the Pharisees are so emotional and protective of their norms that they change the subject to discredit this great healing. They change the subject to the Sabbath. Something just happened that never happened before in human history. And they changed the subject to keep their values in place, to not be disturbed. But others were saying in verse 16, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Thank God for that. At least some of them were starting to see the light of Jesus that his grace and truth was just too glaring to ignore. So we go on in verse 17. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So there we see pressure placed on people to keep them in line with the social norms so as not to disturb the apple cart, you know, especially when money's involved too, which the Pharisees had a lot of. The Pharisees were basically saying to these poor people who were just being honest, tell us what we want to hear or else. We're not actually listening for the true answer. Tell us what we want to hear or get out. And back then, this was huge. You didn't just leave your church. You left society. You were shunned. You probably couldn't make a living anymore because everyone knew about you. So this is what we believers are called to, my friends, all of us. If we're going to be good soldiers of Christ, this is what we're called to do, to speak the truth in love honestly, not give in to the lies that the world promotes, even says... Tell us what we want to hear or else, right? And they'll, they'll you know, bribe you. They'll pressure you, directly or indirectly. We need to preach the good news so that some might be saved and be willing to accept the consequences. But what a calling that is. And God will give us the strength and the wisdom to walk in the light. If we stick with the truth, if we pray, if we ask him, he'll give us the strength to do these things. Some of you are now hear, are hearing this and seeing the situation even these people are going through and you're saying, if that was me, I could never do that. I could never stick up for the truth in that situation. But you don't know that. In your flesh, you couldn't. Absolutely right. But if you're relying on the Spirit, you can do anything, which we'll be reminded of as we close. So we mustn't let the bullies of this world who are motivated by the kingdom of darkness discourage us from our so great calling I mean we have the way people we know the way to heaven and who he is and we're not going to tell somebody because someone gets upset when you say there's only one way it, it might hurt a little bit it might hurt you a little bit to tell the truth but how can you not tell the truth to someone that there is a way, and there is the way. And that's the good news. When we get to heaven, we'll have zero regrets if we just stand firm in the truth. So let's call it on the board, holding on to objectivity. If we're going to truly love others in this deceived world, we're going to have to defend the truth. Defending the truth, standing firm, and doing it all in love It is possible, but it takes acting in faith. And again, as we've seen recently, all things are possible with God, even God using little old you. Maybe even especially God using little old you because he uses the weak to shame the strong. All things are possible with God. Again, on the board, hold on to objectivity. If we're going to truly love others in this deceived world, we're going to have to defend the truth. Defending the truth, standing firm and doing it all in love, it is possible, but it actually takes acting in faith. And all things are possible with God. Ephesians 4:14 4, through 15, 1 Corinthians 16:13 through 14, and Mark 10:27. All verses that we've recently seen in the last week or so, uh, all coming together for us. And when you defend the truth like this, when you hold on to objectivity in in the face of antagonism or subjectivity, you may have to do it in strong language at times. But that may be the greatest show of love people have ever received in this world of deception. They're used to everybody lying to them, telling them whatever they want to hear so they don't get offended, that no one has told the truth in strength, and in love. And you just might save their life in more than one way. So continuing on in uh, John 9, 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. So on the board, we saw on Sunday, subjectivity's quagmire. Errant societal norms cannot deal with godly truth. What did they do? When this man said in verse 27, you want to be his disciples too? Why, why do you want me to say this again? They reviled him in verse 28. They hated him. Errant societal norms cannot deal with godly truth. As such, when forced to meet with truth head on, what we see are knee-jerk reactions to it, such as emotionalism, irrational behavior, subjectivity, they all really all go together in a big ball of wax. And here's the truly sad thing that came out on Sunday as what happens to the souls of those who give into societal norms as truth. On the board, since ungodly societal norms are threatened by the objective, immutable, stable truth found in the Word, they must base their laws of self-governance on subjective, changeable, unstable ideas. People in our society today, are floundering around all over the place, like a fish out of water, flip-flop, flip-flop, nowhere to go, no stability, because the truth that they are sold keeps on changing. I should say the lies that they're sold keep on changing, but this apparent truth that they're sold in this world keeps on changing. And what motivates a lot of this? Money. Back to money. It's why most magazines and TV shows make millions of dollars. They're always coming up with new things to report, to get more viewers, to get more subscribers, to make more money. That's why things keep changing. That's one of the reasons things keep changing, either to make more money or so people don't lose money. They compromise and accept the changing societal norms constantly so that they stay in the loop and they don't get Suffer loss for doing so. And some of these, let's call them news organizations in the world today, they even force new things, new stories, fudging the truth to make a compelling story. Forgetting to tell the honest, objective news, they make millions, like on purpose. Directly lying. They won't call it that, but that's what's going on. And it's kind of spinning out of control. And that's why we should take everything we hear on the news or politics even with a grain of salt. I hope everybody does that because it's easy to listen to everything you hear. Remember, the world system is controlled by the kingdom of darkness. And that's where a lot of the stories are coming from that we hear on a daily basis. No matter which side of the political aisle you're on, the kingdom of darkness is creating and planting these stories and even changing our societal norms for us more and more away from the Bible. So on the board, this kind of reactionary, unstable, often fluid type of thinking becomes the accepted norm. It's like okay to be unstable. It's kind of a weird thing. Instability is the new stability, as though it's in vogue or something, Um, for something to be unstable, unstable. On the board, when subjectivity becomes the culturally accepted norm, societal norms can be so powerful that people under them can refuse to judge with integrity. Objective thinking is no longer allowed because it upsets the societal norm, which has supplanted godliness. Instability becomes the accepted norm. It's a weird statement. Instability becomes the accepted norm because isn't a norm supposed to be stable and something you can rely on? It's a crazy world we live in, and Satan's doing a marvelous, marvelous job. Thankfully, with the word, we have all the facts that we need on the board, social stability. The more trained up in the word you become, the more stable your life becomes. This is due to the objective nature of truth in the soul. So we move from subjective living to objective living. Subjective people despise this and in many ways are jealous. So here we are being built up in the Word and developing a, a further and further uh, objective nature of truth in our own souls, right? And the world's going the direct opposite way. People in the world are going the direct opposite way. So this is why I think the clashes are going to be so much more extreme. So here you are training in the Word for 10 years. And the other person's training in the world for 10 years, listening to everything they hear, accepting it, change and go with the flow, everything's okay. So 10 years later, how far apart are we with that person that we just meet one day in the coffee shop? So here you are with the stability of truth in your soul and you're standing objectively on the truth of the word and creation and God and what life's all about. And that person has a totally foreign, totally different perspective on life. What do you think is going to happen 20 years from now when you bump into a stranger at the coffee shop? What is their perspective, how they've been trained or brainwashed? And how have you been trained in the Word so much? Now you're stronger in the Word and now you really don't mix. Oil and water. So we got to expect it. we got to expect it. And that's okay. We can be there to help save these people. Even though some of them aren't going to hear it. What did our Lord say about truth on the board? In John 8 31 and 32, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So the more we stick with the truth and we develop this objective nature of thinking from truth, we get more free. The truth gives us peace and stability, and we're set free from being subjective or a slave to the way the world thinks, and the societal norms are flowing. We're set free from that because the world is building us up, and those chains are left behind more and more as we continue to know the truth. We can have stability and honesty about the truth that only God can give us, and therefore we have His peace. And that's why you're going to stick out like a sore thumb to the world sometimes. Because chaos could be going on in the world, even right down the street, in the presidential office, around the world, terrorism, economic markets crashing. And you're standing there at Starbucks peacefully, having the peace of God. And people aren't going to like it. They're going to get angry and jealous even. But some will be drawn to the light because you've been sticking with the word, and you're objective. And you have God's peace, because you have God's truth. How awesome is that? So finally, as we close, um, here's what we were challenged on Sunday. How's your social life doing? Kind of a personal question, right? How's your social life? Some of you, you know, are saying it's not good. And I say, that's probably a very good thing. Because on the board... In order to have a good social life, honestly, one must abide by societal norms. Otherwise, that person will endure a social death. Even though the scale of values within said society is perverse and backwards, there's a certain prosperity that exists for conformers. If you conform to the societal norms, you can keep your prosperity, even monetarily. Again, it might come to that. So this is a great temptation because it's going, going to disturb your life. More and more as we go on, it's going to disturb your life. So it's up to you. On the board, in James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Couldn't be any more strong language in this verse. And it's not It's not as though um, this says, you know, you're worshiping another God like Baal, like they did in the Old Testament, right? Or you're making idols. No, this is saying how evil it is just to be friends with the world. Just to be friends doesn't mean we don't love everybody. Of course we do, right? I hope you know that. It's talking about compromising with the world. And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we all need to judge ourselves objectively. Am I living a life that's comfortable with the world in its ways? Is my social life with those in the world who are against Christ? Is it smooth and compromising, you know? Anything goes? I don't ruffle any feathers? If so, you're deceiving yourself and not living in the truth. So as we close, I want to close with this one point and jump ahead to it for you. Hold on to objectivity. Get ready as soldiers of Christ. Be ready to stand firm in the truth, in love, and let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where they may. You can't serve God and money, right? Jesus said you can't serve God and money. And there might be a time when you're tested and you would literally have to face losing everything or losing a lot of your prosperity. Stand firm in the truth, in love. Let the chips fall where they may. Let God take care of you. Jesus did that. He was hated for it, but he never compromised telling the truth. He truly let the chips fall where they may, all the way to the cross, to God's glory. And so the world will hate us just like it hated him. So again, on the board, hold on to objectivity. Jesus told us that we will be persecuted for following him. But there's nothing better to be persecuted for and truth and the words of eternal life. Is there anything more worthy? What a privilege to be persecuted for sharing the words of eternal life, sharing the truth in love. Hold on to objectivity. In love, continue to tell the truth despite societal norms, and by God's grace, we might help save some. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much again for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for this awesome, wonderful calling on our lives to live in the Great Commission, to honestly share the truth with people about all different subjects in life and help us, Father, understand how to do this in love. Show us how to do this. We need more faith. We need more guidance from your Spirit. And help us to, most of all, hold on to our integrity. Hold on to our objectivity in the Word. We thank you for these lessons. We ask that you bless us as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit.